Hello everyone, today we're joined by Noah Buxton, who works for the blockchain practice Armanino and also is involved with the Digital Chamber of Commerce. Please, can you give a brief introduction, Noah? Hey Ian, thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here with you on CoinScrum. Uh, so yeah, quick introduction personally, uh, I'm a reformed attorney uh, with a background in risk assurance and audit, uh, as well as technology. And uh, you know, the firm I work for, Armanino, we're a top 20, uh, public accounting firm based in the U.S. We work globally. Uh, we've got about 1,500 uh, employees. And I was drawn into this crypto space in about 2016, uh, really through a client engagement. Uh, so that was an interesting way to get in. But I got I got pulled down the rabbit hole very quickly. And today, uh, you know, I'm co-founder of our digital assets and blockchain practice and leader of that industry group at the firm. And I get to put my passion to work in, in a few different ways each day. But but really it's building innovative new solutions uh, that are, we think world first for public accounting, but also world first and important for the digital asset industry. Okay, Noah, so we know you co-authored a recent report for the chamber called Proof of Reserves, the practitioner's guide to an emerging standard for increasing trust and transparency in digital asset platform services. Could you tell us a little bit about the background to this uh, great initiative, who contributed to the outputs and, and what do you hope it's going to be useful? Yeah, absolutely. So, so first off, uh, the, the Chamber of Digital Commerce is a, an advocacy group, uh, mostly uh, DC centric and working on US policy issues and digital assets at crypto. And I, I think absolutely, you know, one of the best um, been working with the digital chamber in their working groups and been a participating member uh, and, and my team has for a couple of years now. And uh, frankly, the, the talent there, I learned something on every call, right? So the talent there is pretty impressive from other folks in public accounting to regulatory attorneys, um, as well as a lot of voices from industry, you know, some of the largest names in the space. So. Um, great organization and a lot of good information sharing. And that sort of, you know, starts the, the background of how we got involved in this initiative and how we initially published this paper. So um, in, in actually in May of 2020, Armanino performed what we thought was a very novel and a pretty powerful implementation of this proof of reserves idea. We did that for a large exchange called Gate.io. There, I think, you know, depending on the day, 12 or 15, in rank globally by their their daily volumes, and a few of us at the chamber, uh, you know, these these people become friends pretty quickly. We've been talking about these issues, um, and so what are the implications of, of proof reserves? How could it be bigger? How could it be more standardized? Um, and so we were we're keen to work with friends in the industry and really advance what we think is a really promising area, an important area for this industry. So, um, you know, frankly, I probably drank too much coffee one weekend. Uh, hammered out sort of a skeleton of what this paper could look like. Uh, because of that, the, the gracious folks at the chamber let me hold the conch shell uh, during a few of the meetings. And um, but you know, really, it's a story of, of a really good collaborative story. You know, a number of key participants. I think we had uh, good participation from, as I said, you know, sort of uh, experts of the industry, regulatory attorneys, public accounting. We got historical and sort of monetary theory perspective from Nick Carter. We got uh, commodities exchange perspective from industry, you know, ARSX and others. Um, other accounting firms like Cohen Company, KPMG, Deloitte, you know, some of the larger names in the world. Um, and 
you know, as well as even commodity sort of opinions for coin reg tech, um, a lot of great participation. Thanks, Darren. And so let's talk about from a technological standpoint, the concept and in a, in a handful of cases, the implementation has been around for, for, for many years already. Um, and at a high level, perhaps explain what the concept um, of, of proof of reserves is um, for digital exchanges and custodians, um, where there is a need for perhaps more concise definitions and taxonomies and, and, and standard setting. Um, how does the concept sort of work at a, at a technical level? Sure, happy to. So um, I guess, you know, you could say as long as humans and society have been uh, trusting each other with store value uh, in, in one way or another, you know, there's been some need for assurance. The accounting industry is a very old one because of that. Um, in, in its most essential form, uh, proof of reserves is really a way to close a trust gap that's created by a centralized third party when they're holding uh, your assets. And in this case, proof of reserves is, is really directed at, at digital assets. And so it's really all about closing the trust gap of when you, uh, as say a consumer or maybe an institutional player, uh, trust a third party custodian or exchange to hold your keys for you, hold, hold, hold your Bitcoins for you. And you know, the, the, I guess you could say the unwritten promise here has been a one-to-one -one reserve. So, uh, you know, one Bitcoin liability on the platform, you know, on your exchange account, for instance, uh, should be backed by a one Bitcoin reserve held by the exchange or the custodian. And I think that that's been the unwritten promise because, you know, these unique digital assets have um, over time gained a character of sort of a, a character of a commodity, right? And I think they're treated and thought of that way by their owners. And uh, so, you know, depositing a Bitcoin to an exchange feels um, much more like, you know, handing over uh, the keys to your car to the valet more than it does, um, you know, sort of putting a dollar in the bank account where we all sort of know, you know, we're trusting this, you know, large institution and, and network, um, but ultimately that a lot of that is loaned out on the backside. So. I think that's sort of the, you know, the, the um, sort of the, some, some of the underlying genesis for why this idea or this practice is needed. Mm -hmm. I think, I think mm -hmm. you, you started to ask about, um, you know, I think why, why this is needed now, and I'm happy to speak to that. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's, there's been a lot happening in, in the industry, obviously things move very, very quickly. Um, but I think the market is already speaking. So, uh, you know, I think I could say CoinFloor is, a, is an early leader in proof reserves. They've been doing it since 2014, and that was actually around the time um, that an early Bitcoin developer, Greg Maxwell, even theorized that we should, uh, you know, be able to check or put a check on the, he said, quote unquote, evil exchange, right? Um, that they should be able to prove to us that they're properly custodying and holding enough of our Bitcoins to back the liabilities that they have to customers. Um, so, you know, you already have certain industry players trying to go forward and offer this level of transparency. Um, you've got an interesting public conversation or industry conversation that's sprouted up around centralized or fiat-backed centralized stable coins, right? Are the dollars in the bank account? Um, are they adequately collateralized stable coins? And these are POR or proof of reserves like questions. You've got the flourishing of crypto lending, both centralized and decentralized, but in the centralized case, 
you know, there's a lot of eyebrows being raised uh, around these platforms, right? Are these trustable platforms? Are these, are these should we be placing an, our trust in these companies? Are they adequately regulated? Um, and, you know, if they're managing a loan book, there's significantly more risk uh, around the way that they're managing assets, right? There's significantly more risk of default specifically to the, to, on the customer liability, you know, on the Bitcoin that you've um, deposited to those platforms. Um, so there, there's a lot, I think, you know, um, of interest there around proof of reserves. And then you also have some of these novel things happening. You know, I think um, Celsius said that they're going to register their assets um, on another blockchain um, and called that a proof of reserves. I'm not sure that's a proof of reserves exactly, but you know, the interest is there, right? To show and demonstrate to customers, hey, we've got, we've got the Bitcoins. Chainlink, um, you know, leading Oracle network, uh, mostly on Ethereum now is, is publishing proof of reserves information or uh, collateral balance information back on chain for use by smart contracts. So all of this stuff is swirling um, and also regulate, regulation is already moving. Wyoming, um, a state in the US um, and their special depository banking law has enshrined proof of reserves um, as a requirement. Uh, Canada actually um, has just their SEC, their Canada's SEC has uh, essentially said in their guidance that proof of reserves is a very relevant um, procedure or offer proof, you know, for a regulated entity. Um, and, you know, even I think it's uh, Hong Kong's regulations also speak to proof of reserves. Japan's FSA has spoken to proof of reserves for many times, so, or for many years, excuse me. And so this stuff is moving and, it, you know, this is the right time, I think, for experts in the industry to sort of, you know, come forward with all of the things that they know and um, better educate the industry and the regulators on what the right approach is. Yeah, you touched on some of the the new products that are being offered on um, exchanges. And so interest bearing offerings um, really do then ask the question as to what's happening with collateral rehypothecation and how do I know if I want to get my coin back, I'm going to be able to get it back straight away. You know, where is it? Um, and that speaks to the, the liquidity and the ease to, to, to remove one's asset from, from an exchange. All right, so let's, let's move on to um, the paper itself, which talks about a three-pronged approach and a collateralized crypto claim framework. Can you walk us through this model and perhaps speak, and you touched on stable coins before, but go into a bit more detail around the type of tokens um, that you cover off, whether fiat-backed stable coins or algo stable coins, and you know, what sort of DeFi tokens, whether it be you know, LPs, et cetera. Sure thing. So in this process, uh, I think a number of us are, are sort of Bitcoiners, we could say, you know, we're sort of Bitcoin first and believe in Bitcoin and proof of reserves in its inception was a, you know, a Bitcoin first or Bitcoin exchange focused idea. And so we wanted to bring that, we wanted to bring that to the professional world, to professional services and attorneys and, and to the industry in a really honest way around like, here's the Genesis idea. What can we do to make it better to flesh it out um, and, and make it more accessible and usable and standardized? Um, early on in that process, we realized, as I mentioned, there's all these things swirling and you know, the market is sort of saying what it wants proof of reserves to be, or participants are trying to offer this level of assurance to their consumers. And so uh, pretty quickly we realized, okay, we, we have to take a little bit 
broader view here. We have to pull back, you know, widen the aperture to say there are lots of trust gaps that feel like this, you know, Bitcoin exchange trust gap. There are other trust gaps that feel very similar in digital assets. And actually, a lot of the same basic principles apply. So shouldn't we be smart about this and say, let's build an umbrella so that the industry can see, hey, maybe this is or maybe this is not the right answer, but let's let the market decide. But let's let's let them decide, hopefully, within a reasonable framework. And so, so what we addressed in the, in the digital chamber paper first is what we call um, platforms or crypto platforms. So, um, you know, these are exchanges, custodians, um, derivatives, venues, right? Um, these are, you know, the classical deposit your Bitcoin, do some activity and withdraw your Bitcoin. Also lending operations. Um, and so we extended the proof reserves concepts to those, those players. Um, also, we don't address them in much detail in the paper, but, you know, we can here, which is there are, as you said, uh, stable coins or what we call in the paper asset backed tokens and also crypto security instruments. So let me explain that real quick. Starting with the crypto collateralized claim, if you deposit a Bitcoin to an exchange and you hope to get that Bitcoin in return, you know, at some point in the future, essentially the exchange has issued you a crypto collateralized claim, a Bitcoin collateralized claim. Um, and if you uh, hold a stable coin, you're essentially holding what we think is a crypto collateralized claim. Um, it's really a, you know, a dollar um, held in, in reserve. But, um, and, and then on the other side of the, the sort of the spectrum, I guess you could say, um, you have a number of products that are being developed, uh, tracker notes, exchange traded products, um, even crypto funds, where the issuer is issuing a crypto collateralized claim. So CoinShares is a good example, a company that we work closely with. Um, they issue trackers or exchange-traded notes, uh, and those notes trade on NASDAQ exchanges, but they're backed up one-to-one -one or hundred, you know, fully collateralized by the underlying crypto that they, the crypto price that they track. Um, and so again, there's trust gaps in all of these. Um, and it's really the idea of extending proof reserves to each of, each of these ideas in a meaningful way. Whilst the level of transparency can be seen as a positive, especially as institutional adoption picks up, um, and likely that's something that can't be provided for within traditional financial services, let's talk a bit about privacy. And, and did you cover this off in your paper in terms of customers' data and how you're thinking about protecting um, the client's data on exchange, for example? Yeah, sure. We got into that a little bit, uh, you know, in, in the paper. And I think the high level, the highest level answer here is that uh, proof of reserves uh, implementations in the wild today, let's say, um, let's say CoinFloor again, as an example, who does a self-published proof of reserves, um, it's sort of natively privacy preserving. They don't publish any information that deals with the underlying identifiable individual or customer. Um, you know, there's not those two pieces of information that can be combined to identify a natural person. And so in our, in, you know, in the methodologies that we discuss in this paper, also in the sort of the special recipe, I think that Armanino has developed and is applying today in the market, we take that same approach, right? It's, we're not, um, so to say, interested in the personal information of the underlying customers, nor do we want to expose it in any way. 
And so in these implementations, I think that, you know, they're ultimately privacy preserving. Um, you know, there's some interesting work on the forefront too, even around zero knowledge proofs and how, you know, those can actually be applied to be even, I guess, sort of more robustly privacy preserving. But today, let's say in the Armanino example, if you look at uh, the gate IO proof of reserves, it covered almost 3 million accounts. Um, it was done using hashed user IDs. So we do perform procedures at the exchange to validate the list of liabilities that we're getting, but we do that in already a privacy preserving way. So we're looking for a complete and accurate export of non-zero Bitcoin balances or other crypto asset balances. Um, but again, in a privacy preserved way to start. Well, it's good to, good to know that you're considering um, data privacy as well. Um, Okay, so let's talk about as we see uh, the maturity of the industry and, and the adoption, as I mentioned before, increases with large investors coming into the space. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's important for the industry as a whole to start collaborating as you guys have done at the Chamber and adopting these standards? And what effort would be required on the part of the market participants um, to implement the recommendations that, that your paper proposes? Yeah, so I, I think the quick answer is that self-regulatory measures here, in this case, are, are going to be uh, better than a wait-and-see approach. And active engagement with regulators and education on what is possible is going to be a better approach. So um, personally, I believe that digital assets, uh, cryptographic assets are in many ways uh, better assets. And I think that you know, the type of assurance, the type of oversight that can be given is overall better. Now, I think that that certainly comes with caveats. I'm not sure I would extend that personally, that same statement to say KYC necessarily. Um, you know, I, I think that there should not be disparate treatment. I think that that's an important thing we need to think about, right? Is that um, if you sort of, uh, you know, uh, work globally, but of course, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I think about the US probably more, um, and you know, I see disparate treatment with recent FinCEN um, moves, right? To treat digital assets and the movement of them, and specifically uh, suspicious activity reporting, creates a disparate treatment. It creates a disparate result, you know, as opposed to cash. Um, I think that that's the wrong regulatory result. So, um, I, I, you know, when it comes to proof of reserves, active engagement, or not even proof of reserves, when it comes to a regulator trying to protect markets and protect consumers, um, they should, you know, uh, be looking to the best, most focused way to do that without creating, you know, again, a treatment that's disparate to other asset classes or other industry types. So mm -hmm. you, you asked about effort too. So let me, I guess, take a step back and sort of maybe tease apart the concept in its sort of a, at a technical level. Um, and that might help. So, uh, ultimately, uh, the proof of reserves process for an exchange is probably a lot like, depending on the approach, it could be either a lot like an internal audit project or process that a company might go through, or it might be sort of like an external audit process. In, in its original concept, its original form, is sort of two main ingredients for proof of reserves. And this, again, is back to the, the Greg Maxwell theory of proof of reserves. And this would be on the side more of an internal management-produced sort of effort. Um, it really involves publishing digital signatures for company wallets. 
And what does that mean? Well, it does mean that you would have to publish the public key of say the cold storage wallets or cold and hot wallets that together you know, are enough uh, collateral asset to back liabilities. Um, and then on the other side, the liability side, creating a cryptographic proof um, of the liability set, right? All the Bitcoin owed to uh, you know, John Doe and Jane Smith each have five Bitcoin, et cetera. Um, now, that original recipe of two ingredients, again, not necessarily difficult for an exchange to produce that today. I think custody teams can do digital signatures and you know, accounting and operations teams can pull customer database information, not, not an extremely heavy lift. And so you know, when you hear from exchanges that this is you know, borders on the impossible, um, I don't think that that's true. I think that you know, the larger the exchange, the more complex the, the organization gets, it can get more complex, but it's definitely very possible, especially for uh, organizations that have the right level of internal control and process to begin with. The, the newer concept of proof of reserves, I would, I would say, uh, I think it kind of has four main ingredients, or at least the way Armanino is applying it, at least the way we've uh, talked about it in the paper as possible is, is four main ingredients. So you've got this liability side that I mentioned, the asset side, uh, some form of attestation or attest reporting under a, a recognized standard of attest, and then a third-party hosted verifier tool. So teasing those apart a little bit, the liability side again is, is bringing traditional audit procedures to this process, right? Um, methodologies that have been trusted by publicly traded companies and markets for decades and decades, bringing those methodologies to the liability side of the equation, right? Can we get a complete and accurate export without cheats from the exchange? The asset side uh, is at the highest level requesting digital signatures and there are other wallet schemes and custody schemes that throw a wrench in that, but ultimately trying to get digital signatures. Um, and this is good because the exchange can now show proof to the auditor without disclosing necessarily all of the cold storage addresses. And exchanges think that that's good for them, right? That's sort of confidentiality preserving and also, you know, arguably security uh, measure as well. Uh, then there's this idea of attest reporting. Again, sort of it's bringing this traditional trusted frameworks and methodologies, peer review, reputate, you know, licensor of the accounting firm, reputation of the accounting firm, uh, bringing that to bear um, to provide a more transparent wrapper around this process. And lastly, this third-party hosted verifier tool. In the original implementation of proof of reserves, uh, it's pretty cumbersome, actually. It's, you know, to think about how a user would actually do it. Uh, my mom certainly wouldn't be doing it because she'd have to go to GitHub and download um, a couple of assets, a verifier code base, as well as the Merkleized set or the, the Merkle set of liabilities. And she'd have to run that code locally uh, and then put in her balances and see if she could find her path to the root, right? Um, I might have even lost some of the audience here, which I know is a pretty technical audience. So. What this does, is, what we've published is an independent page that hosts this verifier. The user does not have to hold this complete cryptographic set, um, which is actually, again, good for the exchange, um, but they can easily participate in a web interface to see were they included in this proof of reserves process. And that's actually the magic of proof of reserves is that the customer the, you know, of the exchange can participate. They can actually get in there and say, as of this date, my balance was this, and here's my hashed user ID, was I included? 
Okay, well, let's, let's flip it on its head and talk about some of the uh, potential criticisms of, of proof of reserves and that while it may prove that any given asset exists under the control of a centralized exchange or custodian at any point in time that the client may validate them as, as you just mentioned, nothing prevents those assets from being subsequently moved, um, right? So is this, a, is this a perfect solution or do risks still remain under these standards? Um, and what role do you see third parties playing in this process? It's a perfectly valid criticism. And, you know, I don't think that proof of reserves or for platforms, the way we've articulated it is necessarily a panacea. So yes, risks remain. And, you know, if you're actually looking at the gate IO proof of reserves at test report, you can see we have a whole section for that just to actually clearly define in plain language, what are the remaining risks? What are the open areas that a, a consumer might want to consider here? Uh, and you also mentioned frequency. It's, it's very important, right? In, in the simplest case, you know, you could, uh, Ian and I, you and I could collude, right, as an exchange uh, operator, and I could, I could run exchange, uh, you know, Noah's exchange, and you could run Ian's exchange, uh, and we could be out in the market telling each, our customers that we're, we're fully reserved, but we could be using each other, right, to, to stuff our balance sheet every time the auditor comes by, um, but then rehypothecate those assets or lend them out um, for interest, put them at risk, um, on the backside. So it's perfectly valid criticism. Um, so two things become important. Frequency, uh, you know, doing this in a set cadence or, you know, relatively frequently um, becomes very important. And that's, I think what we'll see emerge is that as the as the understanding goes up and the complexity goes down and the cost goes down of this, um, ultimately it'll become a more frequent and more baked in type of procedure. Uh, and, you know, also I think in reality here, uh, these exchanges are uh, become more and more complex. They have other regulatory requirements. They have other external auditors and things, you know, providing checks and balances. So uh, the idea that these, you know, funds are swept here and there is still very possible. But you know, for the largest names in the world, it becomes less and less possible. Okay, let's um, move on to the next question and and just talk a bit about how your proposals in the great piece that you've written um, has been received by the industry and what additional work will the chamber um, be doing to encourage wider adoption? Yeah, so I think overall uh, pretty well received. I think, you know, number one, uh, the level of complexity is appreciated. Unfortunately, some of the uh, information produced in our industry is sometimes too generic. You know, it, it sort of just hits the top of the waves. Uh, and so we really made an effort to go deep. And, you know, later in the paper, there's even information that I think custodial teams, technical teams would find uh, very valuable around the mercalization of liabilities and even other opportunities for, um, you know, technical, uh, uh, technical um, options, I guess you could say, for um, proving reserves or doing privacy preserves, digital signatures. So, um, overall well-received, uh, you know, I think industry players are certainly worried about the cost of compliance. That's very relevant. It's a very, you know, as putting your uh, exchange business hat on again, you're running Ian's exchange. Of course you care about the cost of compliance and aren't looking for 
additional costs of compliance that don't necessarily move the needle for you. Um, I think that's one interesting thing about proof reserves is unlike maybe say an IT audit requirement um, in a given jurisdiction or um, you know, an, a financial statement audit yearly requirement or a capital reserves requirement, proof of reserves is a very market facing, you know, consumer facing, consumer engaged type activity. And so I think it's, it actually is value add in a marketing way, um, in a consumer relationship way for the exchange. So uh, if I had to be, you know, proposing things that ultimately cause a financial cost to the exchange and, you know, I think this is a pretty good one. I think that's kind of what we're hearing as well. Yeah, you could argue that it will add a USP to any particular participant vis-a-vis um, -vis the, the, the competition by having um, clear uh, standardized proof of reserves. Okay, so let, let's, let's wrap up. We will add the link to our show notes, but where can folks go um, and find out more regarding the proof of reserves work? Sure, I definitely encourage them to, to visit the Chamber of Digital Commerce, you know, Google that and proof of reserves and you'll get, you'll get right there to a landing page with some, some resources in the paper. Um, certainly we're producing information here at Armanino, uh, armaninollp.com uh, and um, also you know, information on social. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can certainly find me on Twitter as well at uh, btcmeplz, btcmeplease. So, um, Looking forward to staying in touch and uh, hopefully hearing a little bit from the audience around what they think of proof reserves as well. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us, Noah. All the best. Thanks, Ian.